You are listening to the Krika Lecture Series podcast, produced by the Center for Russia, East Europe, and Central Asia at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. This and other Krika podcasts are available on SoundCloud and iTunes. For more information about Krika's lecture series and public events, visit our website at krika.wisc.edu. So, um, okay, so today I'm very, very pleased to introduce our guest, who is Michael Alexeyev, professor of economics at Indiana University in Bloomington. Before teaching there, he taught at uh, George Mason University, and he's been visiting faculty at uh, Duke in Berkeley. And his research and teaching interests lie mainly in the fields of institutional economics, law and economics, um, economics of transition from Soviet type to market economies. And recently, he's been doing some work uh, in resource economics and fiscal federalism. Um, his works appeared in the Journal of Economic Theory, Review of Economics and Statistics, European Economic Review, and many other journals. And he's also co-edited the Oxford Handbook on the Russian economy, of the Russian economy. And I just want to tell a brief story, uh, because actually, uh, I first met Michael many years ago when I was a job interviewee at Indiana University. Uh, job A ended up not taking it. But then we met several times in Kiev, uh, in fact. And uh, Michael bailed me out. One time I had a little interaction with the police in Kiev when we were on our way from the hotel to get some coffee and I had not brought my passport with yes. me and uh, uh, we, were, we were accosted by some police and since I didn't have ID they were demanding some money and fortunately Michael was there to bail me out with $20 to yes. get these yes. police off my back. Yes. So that uh, was a part of a, you know, a series of experiences we yes. had together in Kiev. You so, owe me now with that. Yeah, I still owe you. Okay, well, I'll, I'll, I'll buy you a drink after the talk, I guess. Yeah. So, well, my, finally my chance to meet that. So, please uh, yes. welcome Michael Exciting. All right, thank you. Yes, of course, that was the only time in my life I had to pay a bribe. <laughs> so I never done it so either the, the before or afterwards, but so that time I did. Well, so so now I'm going to talk about this uh, um, this current research. It's not a paper yet, but it's closed on uh, on fraudulent or aggressive nationalism um, and um, to what extent essentially it goes from so below to the post to yeah, from above. And of course, unfortunately. So we are experiencing uh, the very uh, sort of um, the very event that, or the type, the very type of event that motivated this study. Because generally speaking, the Russian foreign policy has been what we call here assertive, but actually quite aggressive, uh, especially towards its neighbors um, and of course uh, so the new aggression in Ukraine is the most recent example and and here the question or so one of the questions so it becomes whether so this kind of aggressive behavior just so goes I don't know from Putin because he's I don't know going crazy or something uh, or so it is is supported or maybe even promoted from from below. Um, so there is another question actually as to 
why it happens, and I will address that to some extent too, but maybe the question I'm going to focus more is this one. Um, so, so in terms of why, it's a very interesting question. It's just more difficult to get the data for that. But uh, the standard kind of uh, uh, reason, or I don't know, hypothesis, conjecture, is that the Russian aggressive behavior, or at least the support for it, as, as I'll show you, that exists, um, to a large extent is due to the so-called post-imperial syndrome. It's basically, uh, so the Soviet Union, it was an empire, so, so Russia was the main, of course, nationality, and it was the imperial nationality, if you will, and so the breakup of that empire uh, so traumatized the population and, uh, and so promoted to this backlash uh, the idea, the, uh, so the desire for some sort of, of revenge. And if, so you look at a couple of quotes here, so this one, how do I do this? Uh, so the pointer is here, yeah. Uh, so this one is from Izvestia just a day after this, so the, so the signing of the agreement to break up the Soviet Union, and basically he says that the, so the Union is dead, but actually the idea is not going to die, it's going to live for a long time, so and so in the right circumstances it can unify millions, it's quite prophetic, if you will. Um, and of course, uh, so Yegor Gaidar, you had an entire book on, on the collapse of, uh, of the Soviet Empire, and uh, he also stressed the problem of the post-imperial syndrome. Uh, there is quite significant literature that the claims so that so the post-imperial syndrome is, is very important in, in the popular attitudes, and so both in the elites and in the people at large, um, but it basically is, is devoid of, of numbers, of uh, more or less rigorous evidence, uh, because I guess it's very difficult uh, to generate such evidence, but I will present some, so some evidence that would uh, would support this, so this conjecture. Uh, so again, the Sepain in uh, so in Russia, he writes, so he's written quite a bit on this, and so he talks about imperial consciousness, and there are other authors as well. Uh, so. What do we have in terms of the data? Not even necessarily about the reasons, so whether it's a post-imperial syndrome or not, but just on the on the attitudes of the Russian people, on the on the type of nationalism 
So that exists in Russia. And I'll talk a little bit more about so different types of nationalism uh, shortly. Uh, so there are, or there have been, so several uh, surveys that pose the questions about uh, to what extent so the Russians are willing uh, to um, to fight uh, to promote uh, a Russian so idea of, of superpower, so great international not power, and to some and to what extent they are willing to promote that, even at the expense of the standard of living. So it basically is gun is guns. So versus butter, so Libada Center, it has had a regular kind of a survey that's been used um, so in several studies where they ask a question, would you rather see Russia as great power, so respected and feared by other countries, or a country with a high standard of living? Um, uh, and so, uh, so that survey started in, or so that question in, in Sulibada's survey started in 2003, and it went on through August of 2021 at least. Uh, so I don't have the date after that. I don't know if they've done a survey after that. And so what is interesting here is that basically there hasn't been a lot of change, maybe with, with the exception of the latest one where there was some drop, otherwise, so some spike around the annexation of Crimea, but otherwise it's been, it's been pretty steady. Uh, so, so this is already sort of partial evidence. It's not like uh, Putin's propaganda just whipped up or all this aggressiveness, it was there in 2003. Um, there also, just recently, I saw a blog post by Snigavaya, so I think it's Maria, Maria. yeah, uh, who mentioned two surveys, so directly related to Ukraine. So the first one, I'm not sure how how reliable it is. I went to that survey, to that link, and it didn't seem like very authoritative. Still, just uh, to show you, so it was done by the <coughs> uh, Agency for Social Research Against uh, I think. Uh, so, so do you support the invasion of Ukraine? So although that was done in 2014, it didn't specify you know, whether it was Crimea or Donbass, it was simply the invasion of Ukraine. And 56.8% of people said yes, uh, with only 19.5% said no. Uh, moreover, more than 50, slightly more than 50% of the people were willing to go and fight or sent their sons to fight. So that was in 2014. Uh, 
In 2022, just the day before the invasion, so the day before the beginning of the invasion, CNN, who did, well, I assume a more authoritative and more reliable survey, so it found that about half of the Russians thought it would be right to invade so Ukraine to prevent it from joining NATO, and only 25% thought it was not a good idea. Uh, now, so as I promised, so I wanted to say something of different types of nationalism. Um, so in the literature, the, so there is a general, so general distinction so between the sort of benign forms of nationalism where people are, are happy to live in that country, are proud to be citizens of the country, so versus a much more aggressive kind of nationalism that uh, uh, is linked to aggressive militarism and hostility so towards out groups and uh, demands so blind and uncritical allegiance to the country. Uh, so, so that kind of nationalism is an expression of national of national superiority, and again, is more aggressive. So, what so Will and I are trying to do here is to put these numbers and to look at so different kinds of nationalism. Uh, so, in Russia, so in comparative perspective, because. Uh, so Levada has done the somewhat similar stuff before Russia, but it's very difficult to evaluate uh, whether it's a lot or not, say, if we don't compare it to other countries. And what is interesting is that um, uh, we have all kinds of research so about happiness and uh, trust, so liberal versus authoritarian attitudes, that is in comparative perspective. But we have not been able to find any paper that would look at the nationalism, uh, specifically in Russia, relative to other countries. So, so, so that's where the main goal of our paper is. Now, uh, what we find, so in case I have to stop early, <laughs> So let me tell you what we find. Um, to start with, the aggressive nature of Russian, of Russian nationalism so has been evident in the data for at least the, uh, the last 20, I would say 27 years. Uh, and, uh, and the Russians are more aggressively nationalistic than most other countries. And I'll talk about a couple of exceptions later. Uh, but in terms of averages, much more nationalistic uh, than the other the countries, at least the countries that participated in the same waves of the surveys that we have looked at. Uh, one country that actually I think scary, from my point of view, is 
seems to be, with some caveats, more aggressively nationalistic, actually, <laughs> is China. Uh, so the data that I will show you will exclude China, uh, but there are tables if you want, uh, like after the thank you for message, for effect tables with China. So Russia is still so more aggressively nationalistic, but uh, just let's grant that the Chinese seem to be more so than the Russians, although the caveat is that this is true only with respect to one of the questions that I will point out later, and not the best kind of a question, actually. Um, so uh, what is also very interesting uh, is that there is no definitive trend with respect to different generational cohorts. I would have expected the younger people to be less aggressively nationalistic. They did not experience uh, the post-imperial syndrome. They did not. So their formative years were not under the Soviet Union. But it does not look, at least with respect to the most important questions, it does not look like they are that different from the older generations, except maybe the oldest ones. Uh, there is also no trend in terms of waves uh, for the two main variables. So I'll talk about the specific variables we use in just a moment. Uh, there seems to be uh, so some dip so with respect to, to military spending at the expense of the standard of living. Um, but uh, so then it went up again in 2017 according to the data that we used. Uh, what is very important and maybe justifies the conjecture about the post-imperial syndrome is that the spike in this kind of militarism, actually in the willingness to spend more on the military, so even at the expense of the standard of living, that that occurred between 1990 and 1995. So, so in 1990, the Russians did not seem to be aggressive at all, but in 1995, they were just as aggressive as they have been so since then. So something happened then. Well, it's very difficult, of course, to claim uh, for sure so with certainty that, so that it was a post-imperial syndrome because a lot of stuff happened, uh, so other stuff happened, uh, but at least what is certain is that all this started before Putin's accession to power. So whether it's a post-imperial syndrome or not, it's not Putin. <laughs> um, and uh, what maybe 
is relevant, particularly the relevant now, but also because, because Russia and Ukraine, in many ways, culturally, in terms of, of historical the legacies, are similar. Still, the Russian respondents are much more likely to prefer guns over butter than the Ukrainians. Uh, so now, maybe, for some Ukrainians, wish they were more into guns, but no oh well. So I hope that we can help them. Um, so basically, these two points may support the post-imperial syndrome because the presumption is, uh, and it is shown to some extent in the data, if you look at not simply all Ukrainians, but, but those speaking Ukrainian versus those speaking Russian, uh, that the Russians are the heirs of the empire, and maybe for because of that, uh, so they are more aggressively nationalistic. So what kind of data do we use? We rely mostly right, on the ISSP, uh, so which had two modules, the national identity module, which has, I think, most relevant questions, um, so, and the government module. So I'm gonna show you the questions in just a moment. Uh, one problem so with ISSP is that it does not go so far enough into the past. It starts in, in the mid-90s, and so the only way to, to compare say 1990 to 1995 is to use the World Values Survey or was enhanced by the European Values Survey um, because Russia participated, so they're starting in 1990 actually before Russia itself. Uh, so there are lots and lots of observations and uh, the, the birth cohorts are so about of equal size, I think it's less important. Okay, so this is important. The questions in green are the questions that reflect the so-called benign nationalism. It's how close do you feel to your country? Or I would rather be a citizen of my country than any other country in the world. And so generally speaking, my country is a better country than most other countries. It's basically, so people are proud of being citizens of the given country. Nothing is wrong with that. Now, the questions in, in red are not as benign, I would say. Yeah. So my country should follow its own interests, even if it leads to conflict with other nations. And maybe even more uh, straightforwardly. So people should support their country even if the country is in the wrong. These kind of attitudes are indeed attitudes where not so simply of pride of your country, 
but placing your country above others in, in a somewhat aggressive, I would say, way. Um, so, so these questions are in one to four or one to five scale, and we rescale them in such a way that higher scores uh, would mean more aggressive nationalist state. Uh, did you run a principal components analysis? Yeah, 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 yeah. We did actually, well, yes, it's, uh, it's good that you ask. Um, what we do basically, so first I'll show you just the basic, so the, the rankings for these questions. But when I run regressions, we control for the principal component based on these green questions. So the dependent variables are going to be these, but this would be a control because you don't want to simply look at aggressive, at measures of aggressive nationalism without, so without controlling for benign one because, because maybe people simply are too into their own country and that's it. Uh, so, it so it doesn't really, really matter in terms of, of results, so whether we control for this or not. So now the government module of ISSP has the military spending Question, the question similar to what Levada asked. So listed below are various areas of government spending. So please show whether you would like to see more or less so government spending in each area. But if you say that you want much more, you should be cognizant of the fact that it might mean more taxes and all that stuff, or, or maybe less spending in the other areas. And what we use from there is uh, the scale that people indicate for military and defense spending. And here we control for the spending in other areas. So just to make sure that the person is not simply into government spending, but into government spending on the military. Uh, so before I go to WDS, the military spending question uh, is a little bit tricky. It's a little bit more difficult to interpret than the two other questions I mentioned earlier. Uh, because military spending, I mean, a person <coughs> could be for greater military spending if the country does not spend much on the military. It may not be the issue of being aggressive, it may be a straightforward issue, for, like, you know, for self-defense, right? Uh, if we control for the country's military spending, it is very highly positively, though, related uh, to the answer to, to that question. So, so this consideration probably is not very important still. Uh, the military spending question is to me, less important than so than so the other two. So unfortunately, the World Values Survey 
the only question that may be possibly related to aggressive nationalism is on, on military spending. Uh, so, uh, so people are asked uh, to answer what they think the first, so the first priority so for the government should be and what the second priority should be. And so they are given these four choices <coughs> and we construct a variable that has a value of, of one. So if a person indicated strong, strong defense as the first choice and so for each five, if the person indicated it as a second choice, or as zero if it's not in the first or second choice. Okay, uh, and we control so for the question of how proud you are to be a citizen of, of our nationality of that country. Uh, so there are all kinds of, of demographic variables. These are for the birth cohorts we use so I'm going to skip uh, so this, if there are questions, I can talk about it later. Um, so we, so in some regressions, we did the control for the country level measures, but in what I'll show you, I'll use just the demographic variables. The country level stuff, it does not really change anything. Um, and we use only the countries that, so that participated in the same wave as Russia did. So here is the list of countries uh, for so ISSP, so WVS. So China, it only participated in WVS. And so we cannot really tell you what the Chinese attitudes are with respect to like you know, I'm for my country even if it is in the wrong, yeah, or uh, pursue national interests even if it leads to conflict. Um, okay, uh, so here is just a simple the ranking for the countries, uh, the averages means for the responses. Uh, even if wrong, so I'm, so I support my country even if it is in the wrong. I don't know why Hungary was uh, way up there in so '95 and and 2003, but Russia so has been either second or first in all of these three waves. Um, so I don't know, maybe. The authoritarian system in Hungary also is, uh, to some extent, related to to this kind of attitude. Um, so, so in terms of pursuing own interests, even if it leads to a conflict, so here even Hungary cannot compete with Russia. So Russia is first in all the ways. Uh, so in terms of military spending, Russia. So what's first here? So somehow here it slipped a little bit. So the Philippines, I don't know. It's uh, so Israel is quite understandable in terms of military uh, spending. Uh, 
for Philippines, I don't know why. So, but again, in two out of three waves, for Russia is way up there. Now, so those were simple rankings on those uh, on those answers. So a little bit more sophisticated analysis here, the controlling for uh, for age cohorts and waves and uh, and uh, and the demographic the variables. Uh, so basically, the dependent variable here is one of those uh, measures of aggressive nationalism attitude. So, and it is a function of all kinds of things. Now, the most important ones are these two. So here is a dummy variable for Russia, which means basically that the coefficient beta one, it tells you to what extent the Russians have greater or lower so value of this of this dependent variable relative to the average of other countries or by controlling for various variables. The BC variable is 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 a dummy variable for the post-communist countries. Uh, so again it shows to what extent the post-communist countries are more or less uh, well aggressively denationalistic uh, than the other countries. So, but of course, Russia is also a post-communist country. So, if you want to compare Russia to other non-post-communist countries, what we should be looking at is the sum of beta one and beta two. Okay. So, uh, and we run this regression for, for the entire sample and then separately for each age cohort and separately for each wave. So, so here are the results. Now keep in mind, the values of the dependent variable are on the one to five scale. So, so here, so the Russians are, yeah, on average, controlling for all kinds of stuff. It will be on the next slide, too. Um, so have 0.5. It's a, significant, it's a significant value because, again, so the whole range is 4, you know, from 5 to 1. So, and if you add the post-communist, then, relative to other non-post-communist countries, so in terms of for pursuing national interest, it's more than 0.6. So even if the country is wrong, I still would support it. One, it's a huge number. Uh, so, and the military spending is 0.8. So this is with no demographic controls except for the gender. Uh, so this is with all kinds of demographic controls. So, so I'll skip the coefficients of other variables. If, so if you are interested, we could go back here. Uh, 
So some of them are a little bit surprising, uh, um, like, yes, say urban, uh, I would have expected it to have a negative sign. But anyway, so let's go on. So this is by birth cohort. So this is with respect to the question whether there has been some difference right, across generations. And even though you may see here a much smaller number, so for the youngest generation, so then to the previous ones, see the forthcoming epidemic has a much bigger number. So when we look at the sum, it's pretty steady stuff. So the younger generation, relative to the non-former post the non-post-coming <laughs> countries, there is virtually no difference. At least it might be statistically significant, but it's not really substantively uh, different across generations. Uh, and similar picture for, so I support in my country, even if it is in the wrong. Uh, so this is Russia. Uh, so this is post-coming <coughs> countries in general. So this is Russia. So Russia relative to non-post-coming non countries. Again, so here it looks like uh, the youngest, the youngest cohort is even more willing to support the country, even if it is in the wrong, than the oldest. So, with respect to military spending, uh, it's basically similar picture. Let's look at uh, the sum. Yeah, it's basically, it's basically similar kind of picture. Um, so let me maybe skip. Well, with respect to waves, there is some difference uh, that for military spending, there is a decline in, in 2016 when we compare Russia to other non-post-communist countries. Uh, but that's the only thing that is really different in terms of how things were changing across time. Uh, just to compare for Russia to, to individual countries, that might be valid comparator. Right? Poland, so same thing. So the Russians are much more aggressively nationalistic. Uh, oops. Yeah, and so the same is true about the United States. Um, now I have to say that when we use world values survey, the United States here in terms of the aim, the aim of the country and being strong defense 
So the Americans became more pro that after 9-11. After but before that, uh, we were similar to other countries, basically. Uh, so before I show you the comparisons for using WBS to all other countries, I want to show you again that with respect to China, the Russians are less willing to indicate that strong defense of Islam is everything else. So in that sense, right, China is even more aggressively nationalistic. Um, so basically, I'm almost done, uh, golly, it's a lot of work. Um, so here, the same kind of stuff so that I talked to you about, I think the most interesting numbers are here. So Russia compared to all non-post-communist countries, but some people actually have looked at, at the effect of, of socialist legacy on, on this kind of attitude. Uh, so without China, it's, uh, uh, it's very similar to ISSP. With China, the signs and significance are still there. It's just that the values of these numbers become lower slightly. Uh, so again, by birth cohort, the same thing. And, uh, and by waves, uh, so it goes up and down, oops. No, it's still, oops, yes, it's a different pattern. I thought I had waves. Yes. So here is waves. Yeah, I guess I did not indicate it was waves. Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, so birth cohorts again, so the same thing. So finally, what is interesting is that if we compare the survey in 1990, to the survey in 1995, we can see very significant so differences for every birth cohort. Uh, so the oldest one, uh, relative to all other countries, it was so just about 0.01, so it became so it became 0.2 in 95. Well, and so on. The, the 90, so the survey for Russia, it was done in 1990. So the 1990 number for every cohort is significantly smaller than the 1995 number. So again, unfortunately, we don't have ISSP data from 1990. It would have been so very instructive. And so finally, the comparison so between Russia and Ukraine, so and Russians again are significantly more nationalistic in all of these waves. So conclusions I already stated, so I'm done. Thank you for your attention.